Well, it's me. He behaved pretty well this morning, don't you think so? He only stood up once. I told him this morning, I said, don't think I won't come over there and tap you on the shoulder if you start misbehaving. God's good. I'm just so thankful for his healing power and how God has brought him so quickly, so fast. Turn to Colossians. You're, you're going to turn to three places, actually. <clears throat> Goodness, that seemed hot, didn't it? You're going to turn to Colossians chapter 3, and then keep your finger there and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and then you're going to turn to Psalms 136. If you're doing it on your phone, I hope you can get, do all three of them real quick. Hello? Are you there? Yeah. All right. I did not want to preach this one tonight. I'll tell you this. I did not want to preach this one. I wanted to do something Christmassy, but couldn't get away from it, and I'm smart enough to not argue with God. So this is what it is, and I know that God wants us to hear it. Um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 says, And whatsoever you do in word or deed... Do some of it in the name of the Lord? Oh, you're listening. Do all in the name of the Lord, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Now turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And it says, in some of the things you do, give thanks. Are you awake? In everything, give thanks. For this could possibly be the will of God? Nope. For this is, a powerful two-letter word, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now turn to Psalms 136 and 1. And it says, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good most of the time. He is good. That's all it says. He is good. For his mercy endureth forever. Now, I want to uh, teach, preach, speak, whatever you want to call it, on a splash of gratitude with that attitude, please. Got it? A splash of gratitude with that attitude, please. Now, this time of the year, it kind of brings out all of the in people, right? What should be the happiest time of the year? What should be the most celebrated time of the year is probably one of the most frustrating times of the year for a lot of people. And especially if you're in retail, oh my goodness, I don't even want to think about being in retail this time of the year because people are rude and they're demanding and they just get their attitudes and they want everything for nothing, right? You're not, you don't do that though, right? You're good, right? Thank you. This time of the year kind of brings out the attitude people and you get focused on what could be, what should be, what you would hope to be, what you can't do, what you would wish you could do. And you get focused on those things rather than focusing on really what this season is about. And we've been given the greatest gift ever we have been given 
uh, the gift of eternal life. And God has done so much for us, and yet we want to grumble and complain a lot, right? Not you, though, right? You're good, right? Y'all get with me, and I'll get done, okay? All right. Um, Max Licato, he's a really good writer, and he's wrote a lot of books, and he tells about an experience. He got to go to New Zealand one time to um, hold a, a revival service for a friend that he had met, and the pastor had been educated in England, and so he said he got to go to the pastor's church, and then after the church service was over that night, well, the pastor invited him over to his house, and he, he was tickled to get to go to the pastor's house, now, Max was a country boy, and so the pastor says, I would like you to come over to the house for tea. So immediately in his mind, he's thinking this big old gallon jug of sweet tea that has three cups of sugar in it, you know, lots of ice, right? Y'all with me? You're thirsty already for tea, right? So the, the pastor says, I'd like you to come over to my house for tea tonight. So Max says that he was greatly shocked when the hostess walked in with a tray and this fancy teapot on it and little tiny cups and then he had a little tray of cookies on it. And so the pastor asked my, uh, Max, he says, would you like lemon or milk in your tea? And so Max, not knowing what to reply, he said both because he figured that would be the safe way. But the hostess was very kind to him, and he said, well, you really don't want to mix lemon and milk in the same cup unless you want a cup of curdle. <laughs> Have y'all ever done that before? See, lemon and milk and tea don't work together. It curdles. And so Max was a quick learner, and he said, oh, well, I'll just have lemon. So he says it reminded him, though, of the fact there's several things that are not made to coexist together. He learned real quickly that lemon and milk and tea did not coexist. We know that oil and vinegar don't mix, right? It mixes, but it won't stay mixed, right? Okay, you're with me so far. How many of you have ever heard like a bull in a china closet? You know the meaning of that. I know the meaning of that because I live with Mike. If he gets... If he gets in the mood to do something, he just goes at it full force. And I say, slow down, Mike. You're going to break everything in this place. So bulls in a china closet don't go together. How about long-tailed cats and rocking chairs? Could be trouble, right? But how about blessings and bitterness? They don't go together either. And how about heavenly kindness with earthly ingratitude? They don't mix either. See, gratitude is something that is not in harmony with the flesh. The flesh doesn't nat naturally just go, it's not a gratitude-filled thing. It's, it's opposite of the flesh. Because the flesh wants self-pity. The flesh wants me, me, me. The flesh wants to bellyache, to grumble, to mumble, to complain. But gratitude doesn't do any of that. It's funny. Listen to this statement. Gratitude does not come easy to us, 
but complaining about everything does. That's not you, Joel, is it? No, no. He was smiling, so that's just why I picked on him. Think about it. Gratitude does not come easy. It's not a characteristic of the flesh. It's not meant to be. Gratitude and flesh do not go together. But yet complaining about everything does. So why? Why is that so? We have to remind our children to say thank you, right? But we certainly don't have to remind them when they're not getting their way and they're whining and crying and and just carrying on. They know how to do that really well, right? Ah, yes, there's the amen corner right there. That would not be Eli, though, right? No. He's your perfect child, right? I got your back, Eli. I got your back. I got yours too, Isabel. Okay. There's a person in the Bible, though, that speaks to us very loudly about how we are to behave ourselves. And that person is Joseph. If anybody had any reason to be ungrateful, to be bitter, to be angry, I mean, you think about his life. He was abandoned, he was enslaved, he was betrayed, and he was estranged. And that just puts it in four simple words. That doesn't give you all the details in between. If there was any person that could speak to us and give us reason to be bitter and angry, it would be Joseph, but Joseph doesn't do that. When you compile the recipe for mean, evil, angry, all of those things, it could be Joseph easily because he had opportunity after opportunity to present those attitudes. But yet he teaches us some powerful truths um, and about attitude and how our attitude should be. Because in Genesis chapter 41, verses 50, 51, and 52, it says, And Joseph named the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God, he said, hath made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second child called he Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now this is after he's gone through all of his stuff. This is after he's had to endure a lot of the stuff that he's had to do. And yet he, in verse 50, 51, and 52, he makes two powerful statements. He doesn't say, I'm going to live the rest of my life grumbling and complaining and moaning and, and, and saying what my life could have been, should have been, would have been if none of this had ever happened to me. Now, I'm not trying to belittle any of that because bad things happen to good people. Bad things happen in life that you wished you didn't have to deal with. But see, our attitude with how we deal with it is what gives us altitude. How we choose to deal with those things, how we choose to see those things is what takes us higher. Mike talked about this morning that we always have to be going upward. The Christian walk is always moving upward. If we're trying to move to the right or to the left or if we're trying to back up, we are not doing what God has called us to do. We're always supposed to be moving up. In Old Testament days, the children were named by the circumstance that they were born out of. 
So we know that Joseph has been to hell and back literally with his life. His brothers throw him in a pit. They sell him to the Egyptians. He's then sold as a slave. He's thrown in the prison then. He's accused falsely by Pharaoh's wife. And 25 years he is dealing with this process. This wasn't just an overnight thing. And then he quickly moved into the second position in, in control in the kingdom. It was not that quick of a deal. It was 25 years that this uh, took place, that over 25 years. So in 25 years, when you have one thing after another, after another, after another happening to you, you understand that you have opportunity to be angry and bitter, right? It's a choice that you can make, right? Okay, go get with me. So... Now you fast forward 25 years and he's now second in command. All of the bad things that's happened to him, he's now second in command. Only Pharaoh is higher than him. Only God could do that. Only God could help him get through all of that stuff and get to the place where he could move beyond and, and get, have a better life because of the bad things that's happened to him. So. He gets married, he has a son, and they call him Manasseh. Manasseh means, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And then his second son, Ephraim, means it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Powerful statement. See, Joseph could have chosen to be hateful, bitter, mean, but he made a choice. He chose to let his past be his past. So there was famine in the land, and of course, uh, Joseph's brothers, his father sends his brothers uh, to the, to, uh, the uh, uh, area to get um, food because they've run out of food. They had no clue that day that they were going to meet up with Joseph. That would have been the last thing they would have ever thought of because they figured he was dead. It's what they had hoped for anyway, right? You don't want to tell that many lies and do that many bad things and go home and tell your dad that he's still alive, right? So I'm sure that they prayed many, many times, Lord, just let Joseph die because we could appease our conscience better. So they had no clue that that day they were going to meet Joseph face to face, and Joseph recognizes them. Um, he begins to ask them questions about their family. Uh, and then he finally tells them who he is. Now, immediately the brothers are filled with fear because they're thinking, oh my goodness, we are dead. This is not going to work out good. But look, again, Joseph teaches us another powerful response. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, he says, but as for you, he's telling his brothers this, he says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. Again, Joseph chose to see the good rather than the bitter. <clears throat> now the day that Joseph comes home and, and him, him and his wife, they've uh, found out that they're expecting a baby and um, this is before ultrasounds and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Joseph comes home and he tells his wife that day, he says, Honey, he says, um, I've been thinking about what we're going to name our baby. And he says, I have some good news. 
And Asenath was his wife's name. And she says, really? What? She says, well, honey, uh, he says, uh, honey, I've been thinking about what we're going to name our first baby, and I've come up with a name. And Asenath waited and waited and waited. We've had this conversation several times. Michael start a conversation, and then he just stops. And I say, uh, hello? You going to tell me? He has to say, what? I said, hello, you just started this whole conversation. Are you not going to finish it? Oh, well, I got to watch in this show. <laughs> he knows I'm telling the truth. <laughs> this is when it's fun to have the microphone. <laughs> so Asenath is waiting and waiting for Joseph to finish his question. And she says, well, are you going to tell me the news or not? And then Joseph quietly replies, God made me forget. What do you mean? You just told me you had some good news to tell me. I did. No, no, you said you've already forgotten. I said, no, I said God made me forget. Wait, I'm confused. Do you have something to tell me or not? Yes, I just told you. Okay, well, let's start this over again because I'm not following you. I've got good news. Okay, what's the good news? I've got the name for our son. Okay, what is it? God made me forget. No, this is the second time you've done this. Don't keep tempting me. Don't keep leading me on. Don't keep taking me down this road. I told you, honey. I told you what the name is. She says, I, wait, wait, wait. Joseph, you've actually, you must have been out in the sun too long today. I'm sure you have had heat stroke or something. I want you to sit down. I want you to cool off. I want you to get something to drink. And then we're going to have this conversation in just another minute because right now this conversation is not making sense to me. So he sits down. She says, okay, let's try this again. What is the news you want to tell me? I just told you, honey. Okay, tell me one more time. God made me forget. Joseph, you're giving me a headache. You're really stressing me out, Joseph. Honey, listen to me. The name of our baby is Manasseh. And it's Manasseh because God has made me to forget. Every time I'm going to call my son's name, I'm going to be declaring God made me forget. Isn't that powerful? See, our stuff in life doesn't have to overtake us. Our stuff in life doesn't have to consume us. Our stuff in life, the things that happen to us, do not have to take us down this road of gloom and doom and despair. We have hope. Uh, Joseph was approximately 17 years old when he was sold by his brothers. And so 25 years he's been in this process, and now his first son is coming. And this was Joseph's way of letting everyone know, I am not bitter. I am not going to let this destroy me. God has made me to forget. And then baby number two comes along. And then Joseph announces the baby again. God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now think about this. Manasseh's name honored God's mercy because he, the name Manasseh means God made me to forget. 
but Ephraim's name honored God's favor because God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What's he trying to say? In the midst of the stuff, God is still making me fruitful. So how are you taking your stuff and what are you doing with it? How grateful are we and how thankful are we? And more important, how does God see us? See, we can fool people, right? But you can't fool God. He already knows. So how we choose to see our stuff is how our life is going to be determined. When we're thankful for the goodness of God in our life, it touches the very heart of God, and it encourages him to shower even more blessings upon us. You not thought about that way, have you? See, a thankful heart is truly a floodgate to the blessings and the goodness of God in our lives because Psalms 37 and 4 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and then, what does it say? And then he shall give you the desires of your heart. But we have to delight in him first. We want him to delight in us first. We want, we want the cart before the horse. We want our stuff, our benefits. We want him to do everything, and then we do the rest. But God says, you delight yourself in the Lord, and then he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, Paul and Silas are another two people that, that speak very clearly to us about how we are to behave in tough situations. Instead of grumbling and complaining, they chose a totally different route. Acts 16 and 25 says, and at midnight, now we know Paul and Silas, they're in prison, and in prison, in a rat-infested cell, I mean, these are not these... Uh, high-priced sales that we have now. You don't get paid for doing all the stuff you want to do. You don't get all the benefits. Paul and Silas were in a rat-infested prison cell. There is no windows. There is no air conditioning. There is no running water. There is no toilets. And you're getting the picture. They're in the midst of a bad situation. And yet, it says at midnight, the darkest part of the night, the middle part of the night, they prayed, they sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. So then, that leads us to another question. What are people hearing from you? What's coming out of your mouth? What are, what are they hearing from you? So... Paul and Silas were not complaining. Instead, they chose to sing, to lift their hands. They chose to have a thankful heart. They chose to see God in, their, in his greatness. They chose to say, God has made me to forget. So if Joseph could say that, if Paul and Silas could say that, then surely God's wanting us to hear something and, and understand that we should do the same thing, right? Hmm. It says probably at this point they will get quiet and tune you out. I'll put a check right there. The result, 
Paul and Silas in chapter 16 and 26, when they chose to sing and give praise to God, it says, and suddenly, and I love that word, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's hands, bands were loose. Now look at this. Paul and Silas are singing and yet the prisoners got the benefit of Paul and Silas singing. Isn't that what it says? Their praise touched the heart of God, and the result was that the prison was shook, was shook with an earthquake, and everyone was set free. So the, another question is, how is God touched today by your attitude of praise? Based on the amount of praise that you have done today, what would God do for you? It's an ouch question, right? That makes you have a boo-boo and you need a Band-Aid because it's an ouch. Because really, we like to grumble and complain. We like to murmur. We like to focus on something we don't like. We like to focus on something that we wish that wasn't that way. We like to focus on someone not catering to our needs the way we want it, the way when we want it, how we want it, how much we want it. And we get focused on that and then we turn into negative, negative, negative. There's three people that I don't want to be friends in my life. You want to know who they are? It's not my husband. He's my bestest friend. There's three people that I do not want to be friends in my life. The first one is Negative Nancy. You know who Negative Nancy is? Negative Nancy, you say, oh, isn't this a gorgeous day? And she goes, nope, not at all. Did you not see that the sun didn't shine very far, very long this morning? The third one is Debbie Downer. Debbie Downer, you say something positive, and she immediately comes back with the, the attitude of, really? You think that's good? No, it's not good. It's going to all fall apart. So I don't want to be friends with negative Nancy. I don't want to be friends with Debbie Downer. And I don't want to be friends with pessimistic, pessimistic Patty. You say, oh, let's try this. And she says, nope, tried it. 1962 didn't work. Oh, well, then maybe let's try this. Nope, we tried that in 1972 and it didn't work. Oh, well, what about let's do this. Nope, try that in 1902. That didn't work either. You see how our attitude can affect us? See, Joseph was sold into slavery, yet he never complained. Potiphar's wife accuses him, yet he never complains. He's cast into prison, yet he never complains. If anyone had the right and the place to complain, it was Joseph. But yet he had his mind so much on the goodness and the promises of God that it didn't even faze him. So again, you have to ask, what do you have your mind on? The things you don't like? the things you're not happy with, the things that you think are not fair. Joseph chose to see God in a different way, and because he chose to see God in a different way, then God made Joseph to forget 
and then God made him fruitful. Isn't that powerful? And that's what gratitude will do. The children of Israel should have been the happiest people on the earth. Supposed to be Disneyland, right? Isn't that what they say, the happiest place on the earth? Y'all don't like Disneyland? I don't, but anyway. The children of Israel should have been the happiest people on the earth. God had brought them out of Egypt. He set them free. Yet, as soon as they get out of Egypt, what do they start doing? Complaining. They grumbled that they were hungry. So God opens up the heaven and he gives them manna. They should have been happy again, right? But no, no. They complain that they're tired of the manna. So God gives them meat. But listen to this. When they got their meat, it came with a price tag. Because if you turn over to Numbers chapter 11, turn in your Bible real quick, or your phones, whatever you want to do, because this is powerful. Numbers chapter 11, verses 18 through 20, this is what happens because they were complaining. They were hungry. They wanted food. God gives them bread. He gives them more, uh, something to eat, something different. And then they get tired of the bread, so he want, they want meat. So look at this. He gave them their meat, and then they complained. And look, it says, And thou shalt say to the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the eyes of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt, and therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you will eat, and you're not going to eat just one day, you're not going to eat just two days. I'm not even going to let you eat five days. Nope, I'm not even going to let you eat it just 10 days. Not even 20 days. But what I am going to do is what God says. I'm going to give you meat for a whole month. And then look at this. Until it comes out at your nostrils. And it's loathsome unto you. Why? Because you have despised the Lord which is among you, and you have wept before him, saying, Why did we ever come out of Egypt? Now, I knew you wouldn't be shouting tonight. I knew it. Because this is serious. This is serious. God is wanting us to understand he's tired of belly aching and complaining and murmuring. It is time for us to move forward and move past and get in the groove and do what God has called us. He's wanting to make us to forget and he's wanting to make us fruitful. Forgetting is behind us. The fruitful is in front of us. You can't stay in the back and be fruitful in the front of you. Right? unthankful the children of Israel was, and it got them in a mess. They were unthankful for what God had done for them. They were unthankful that God had brought them out of Egypt. They were unthankful that God had given them food. He was miraculously providing for them every day. These people saw more miracles than anybody else. You think about it. According to, I want you to listen to this. According to the quartermaster general of the army, it is calculated that Moses would have needed 15 tons of food every single day just to feed the Israelites. 1,500 tons. Is that 300,000? I'm not good with math. 300,000 pounds? Right? That's how much they needed in one day. 
1,500 tons of food just for one single day. And to bring that food, if man would have had to done it, it would have required two freight trains, each of them a mile long, hauling in the food every single day. Every single day. Three million pounds. There you go. Told you I wasn't good at math. That's why he does the checkbook. I make us look like we have more money. Mine's by faith. He's the negative Nancy. He'll say, Phyllis, that's not right. That's why I have him. He takes care of it. So you see, the children of Israel, every single day, it took 1,500 tons of food. So today's society, it would have taken two freight trains one mile long to bring food in daily to them. Besides that, they were in the desert, so they would have had to have firewood to cook their food daily. That would take 4,000 tons of wood and a few more freight trains each a mile long just for one day. And they did this 40 years. Think about it. And then they would have had to have water. And if they only had enough water just to drink, cook, and wash a few dishes with, it would have taken 11 million gallons every single day. And each freight train with tank cars, three, uh, let's, see, uh, let's see, a freight train with tank cars three miles long just to bring the, enough water. And yet they complained, they complained, and they complained. And we're not done yet, but wait, there's more. They had to get across the Red Sea in one night, and if they were on a narrow path, double file, then that line would have been 800 miles long and would have required 35 days and 35 nights to get through. And they didn't have 35 days and 35 nights to get through. Pharaoh is coming, and they have to get across. And they had all of their livestock and all of the stuff that they had to take with them uh, in that, that traveling. So therefore, God had to have a space in the Red Sea three miles wide so that 5,000 people could walk across, single file like across, 5,000 people in one night. Only God could do that. And yet, what did they do? Gripe, gripe, gripe. Complain, complain, complain. Nothing was ever right. And there's still more. Each time they camped at the end of the day, a campground two-thirds the size of the state of Rhode Island was required. So a total area of 750 square miles it took every single night for them to be able just to camp for the night. That's a lot of space. God was busy taking care of their needs, yet all they could do was complain, complain, complain. God gave them, they got out of Egypt, they're tired of eating onions, and God gives them bread. They get tired of bread, God gives them meat. They get tired of the meat, they complain. God gives them the meat, but it came with the price tag. So look at this. I want to give you some reasons to have an attitude of gratitude. The first reason that we need to have gratitude is that it, gratitude is a matter of obedience. 
It's not whether we want to do it or not. If we want to be in right standing with God, Psalms 50 and 14 says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay your vows unto the Most High. Psalms 107 and 8 says, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So the attitude of gratitude is clearly a command and an expectation of God. But it's a choice because God's not going to make us do anything. So listen to this. If you have food on your table, be thankful you have something to eat because there's a lot of people who don't. If you can get out of bed every day, be thankful that you're healthy enough to get out of bed on your own. If you come home from work every day, be thankful you have a job. If you're paying your bills, be thankful that you had the money to pay them. If you're cleaning your house, oh dear Lord, be thankful you have a place to call home. If you're washing clothes, here we go again, be thankful that you have clothes to wear. If you're driving a car, be thankful it runs and it will get you where you need it to be. And if you're worshiping in church, be thankful that you can walk freely into the church without fear of being persecuted. See, we want to get focused on all the negative instead of the positives. Number two, I'm moving quick. Gratitude draws us close to God. Because God commands us to be, when he says, be thankful, it is a command, but it's not a threat. Instead, it's an invitation of a lifetime because God invites us to draw near to him at any moment of the day. Psalms 22 and 3 says, Thou art holy, and oh, that thou inhabits the praises of Israel. He lives in our praises. He doesn't live in our gripes and grumbles and complaints. Our gripes and grumbles and complaints are not getting us anywhere. We're like the children of Israel just walking in circles. That 40-year journey was only a two-week journey, and yet... 40 years, they go in the same circle. Don't you think eventually they said, hey, didn't we just see this a couple of days ago? You would have think that they would have, right? A two-week journey takes them 40 years. There's something bad wrong with that problem. I don't want to be a 40-year journey trying to get it right. I want to get it right. I want to do what God wants us to do. So, it, when we have a gratitude, and when we have an attitude of gratitude, it draws us closer to God. And he lives in the praises of his people. Number three, everybody say number three. Gratitude is a sure path to peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, be careful for nothing. What does that mean? Be anxious about nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. So the mathematical formula is prayer plus thanksgiving equals peace. God is always waiting for us to praise him and to give him thanks. And then that's when the peace comes. 
We say all the time, oh, I just don't have peace. I just don't have peace. Well, have you tried praying? Have you tried giving God thanks? Because there's the formula right there in Philippians chapter 4. If you want peace, pray and give thanks. A.W. Tozer said, Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God, and it is one that even the poorest of us can make, and, it, and be not poorer but richer for having made it. What's he trying to say? It doesn't matter who you are or what your status is. We can always give God thanks. My mom used to say, cleanliness is next to godliness. I don't care how rich or how poor you are, you can always be clean. And, and, and we would all say, well, well, we didn't have so-and-so. And she, I don't care, I don't care. Cleanliness is next to godliness. That was always her answer for everything. And she would not take no excuse for us not being clean. It's the same way with this. Gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God. And it's one that the poorest of us can, be, can make and not be poor, but richer for having made it. So Isaiah 43, 18 through 19 says, Remember ye not the former things. Oops, let's see. What are, we, what are we good at? We're good at just remembering everything we don't like. We're good at remembering all the things that we don't have. We're good at remembering the things that we wish we had. Oh, if I just had enough money, I'd do this. And oh, one of these days, I'm going to do this. And oh, when I get my bank account built up, I'm going to do this. And when I do decide, oh, well, you know, I might as well not even think about it because that day's not going to ever happen anyway because I don't have it. I'm not going to ever get to do it. Hmm. And all we do is focus on what we don't have. And it, this time of the year makes it really, really easy. Isaiah 43, 18 through 19, remember you not the former things. What's he saying? Don't focus on the past. And neither consider the things of old, because verse 19 says, Behold, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. And shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness, and I will make rivers in the desert. But it comes with gratitude first, thanksgiving first. Joseph was a human just like you and I. He made the choice to declare that God had made him to forget and that God had made him to be fruitful. So what is your Manasseh and what is your Ephraim? And what will you choose to allow God to make you forget? Every single one of us have things that we need to forget and put in the past. What will you allow God to make you fruitful in? Because your fruitfulness is in your future. You can't be fruitful in your past. You can only be fruitful in your future. And will you declare that God has made me to forget and God has made me to be fruitful? See, I'm ready to move forward. I'm ready to let the past be the past. And I choose to be defined by my future and not by my past. I don't want negative Nancy, pessimistic Patty, and Debbie Downer living in my life and me joining in with them and, and believing everything that they tell me. You can surround yourself with negativity for so long, 
that you're comfortable with that and that becomes norm to you. And it will destroy you. You need to choose your friends wisely. You need to choose that my mom always said, you are who you run with. And it's truth. You want to be somebody and do something? You decide to let God give you a Manasseh. You want to be fruitful in the kingdom and do something powerful, God? You decide to let God give you an Ephraim. Because God will make you forget your past. And God will cause you to be fruitful if you choose. It's your choice. Let's pray.